In 2014, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin created a seismic shift in how we think about reinventing relationships. When they divorced, unlike typical celebrity couples, they chose to work collaboratively in shifting their relationship to one where both could feel joy, fulfill their parenting and financial responsibilities, and continue growing together, but less closely together. Instead of calling this evolution a divorce, they brought the phrase conscious uncoupling into the common American vernacular. Welcome to the Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Sarah Colantonio. And I'm Kedron Crosby. Our intention for the Behaviors Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're talking about that very topic, conscious uncoupling. And so I first want to ask you, Kedron, what exactly prompted this topic discussion? Hmm, Great question. I've been thinking a lot about conscious uncoupling in in my personal life uh, as well as in my professional life because it's a non-dualistic way of moving through relationships. So it's it's a way that we cannot blame and we can recognize that relationships evolve and it's not that one person is necessarily good or bad, um, that one person is at fault, uh, but that our needs change over time. And so in the workplace, I've been particularly frustrated but because it seems like modern uh, employment practices don't have any space for this non-judgmental way of evolving out of a job, out mm-hmm. of a career even. So I wanted to bring this concept of conscious uncoupling into the workplace. And and I think we have over the last seven years in our practice used this pretty well. And so I thought it was just time to write an article, record a podcast, talk about it with some other leaders who might be struggling, who, who might feel like there needs to be a more modern way of approaching relationships in the workplace. I'll never forget... Uh... So months ago when we were talking to an employee and we collectively were realizing, oh, this isn't working. And she said, is this, are we consciously uncoupling? Yeah, she was very funny. <laughs> yeah. So. And we did. And we did. <laughs> uh, so how much control do do you believe leaders have over relationships in the workplace? Well, I think less and less every year. I think that, I think leaders, the boss, they like to think that they have lots of control, but the reality is they have very little. You know, they think that, uh, and actually research shows that whoever has the most power in the organization is um, most contagious with their emotions. And you'd like to think that that means that they can be positively contagious in changing the culture and improving morale and meaning and engagement. 
but everyone in a system is bringing so much into the team dynamics that once you start calculating that, it feels like we have to recognize that we do only have so much control. And so, you know, part of how we manage anxiety and prevent burnout is recognizing what can we control and what can't we control, and then putting our energy where we can control things. So I think, you know, when you think about um, the fact that every employee, every part of every member of a team is bringing their own honestly, family of origin, you know, organizational cultures of origin that they are bringing from past organizations, um, their own, you know, joy and engagement and passion and so many more things that once you start calculating the number of contributing factors on a, even a five person team, it's, it's, it becomes increasingly clear that as leaders, we don't have nearly as much control mm. of the relationship as we think we we do. It makes me think about the definition in emotional intelligence of interpersonal relationships and how it's mutually satisfying relationships. Yeah. And so maybe in the past we've thought leaders had more control or more responsibility and yet, really, <laughs> at least with emotional intelligence, it has to be mutual. There has to be a two-way give and take. Well, definitely, definitely in the workplace, it needs to be a two-way give and take, mutually satisfying relationship. And so if, if people are to truly feel valued at work... Um, I think that mutuality is really important. So there's been a lot written about how leaders maybe haven't valued employees. And so I I think that we have to recognize it is a Mm two-way street. And so both the the leader as well as the member of the team um, need to be conscious of what they're bringing to the relationship and how they're fueling it or how they might be um, diminishing the relationship. So it's, it's a different way of thinking about the workplace. But as we think about workplaces becoming increasingly relational, I think it's wise for all of us to think about what is it that we're bringing to make this a mutually satisfying relationship? Do you happen to have a definition for conscious uncoupling at work? No, but we should make one. It's a great idea. I I think uh, it's something along the lines of noticing what we're contributing and... Uh, how we're evolving and noticing when we're flourishing and noticing when we've moved past flourishing and we're no longer flourishing Mm. and that we choose to move to a place where we believe that we can flourish. And so without blame, being aware of um, how that 
relationship has changed and uh, releasing the other person so that they can be successful. So releasing, you know, it may be that as the employee, I'm releasing the leader so that they can hire someone who who feels engaged in the work. Or as a leader, maybe they are releasing that employee so that they can go find where they truly feel they belong and that they can flourish. So that was the longest, most rambling definition <laughs> I've ever heard. But you can't ask me to make this stuff up on the spot. But yeah, that's it's something along the lines yeah. of that. What do you think? How would you make that even better? I... I don't know. I think that your main points make sense, that mm-hmm. it's noticing, recognizing what you're contributing, how you're receiving, what's coming from the other end, mm-hmm. what feels good to you, what feels life-draining, mm-hmm. and moving forward from that. And I think probably a big part of it, too, it has to do with if it's conscious uncoupling, then being really mindful in that conversation. What about when best plans, best intentions, mm-hmm. but hiring, it doesn't work out? Hiring is, is perhaps a fairly flawed system. <laughs> Um, it's a flawed system. So I, 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 how many stories, you know, have we heard about people who've been hired and they're, they think it's the perfect job and then they get in it and they're like, I hate this job. This place (laughs) is not for me. I don't belong. Or the other side of it is you think I've got the perfect employee and they're going to stay with this company forever and help us be great. And then it, it turns out to be a poor fit. So I, hopefully someday someone will invent something even better than behavioral interviewing that increases the likelihood that it's a match made in heaven. Um, But uh, until then, I think we have to be more skillful at, at uncoupling and maybe uncoupling quickly. And so recognizing this isn't fitting maybe recognizing why is this not fitting? Why is this not working? Definitely making some attempts to ameliorate the misfit. Um, but if that doesn't work, then saying, okay, let, let's move on. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about, um, well, I think about Zappos, you know, giving mm-hmm. those enormous, um, I forget what it was, $2,000 if you got through the first week and and you didn't feel like you were a good fit. And then Netflix, of course, giving these enormous um, severance packages if, if it was clear that it wasn't mm, yeah. going to be a, a mutually beneficial relationship and, and that they weren't really a stunning colleague. Yeah. So what what are other times when you would recommend conscious uncoupling or maybe not recommend it, but you think those are situations where it's time. It's time. It's time. Yeah. I think when hiring doesn't work out 
And that's, that's a time to think about conscious uncoupling. Sometimes, uh, obviously we all, hopefully we're all evolving. So hopefully our organizations are evolving and getting better and stronger and maybe even bigger and more complicated. Um, but also as individuals, we're evolving and we're growing and we're learning. And so sometimes there's just growth that happens in different directions. Um, and so the relationship has run its course and either the organization or the person isn't going to be able to fulfill the other one mm-hmm. anymore. So maybe they've even been there 10 or 20 years, but maybe maybe it's time that uh, it's no longer mutually satisfying. And so I think with care and diplomacy and loving kindness and all of those things that can be wise to consciously uncouple then, um, you know, sometimes we just realize we don't belong and, um, <laughs> or others realize we don't yeah. belong. And so 2022 at Work Wisdom, our focus has been on how do we sustainably create cultures of belonging and so internally and also externally for our clients, we've really focused on cultures of belonging. And I've been grappling with this idea that what happens when we don't belong? What happens when someone on a team simply does not belong in that culture? If a culture is uh, exceptionally clear on their identity on their archetype, on who they are in the world, on their values, on what winning is for them, they become a a pretty um, potent version of themselves. And so a new person might walk into that culture and say, I'm a thorn here. You know, I'm sticking out and I can't seem to assimilate. And it may be because they don't actually belong. So as, as hard as that sounds to say sometimes we don't belong in a culture, I think we have to admit it. I, I have a perfect story of this. Okay. When I was in graduate school going to the University of Tennessee, I worked at this place called Planet Exchange. It was owned by a lesbian. It was reusable clothes. Mm-hmm. It was great. But the pay wasn't that good. So I decided... I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, so, so you know, I quit that job and I found a waitressing job at a steakhouse, if you can believe it. So I'm the vegan. vegan now. At the time, though, I wasn't. But so I, st- I started working. It was called um, the Steakhouse or something like that. That's a novel <laughs> there's name. There's a lot of... For a steakhouse. There's a lot of meat. Uh-huh. And so I... I went in on the weekends. I would work, you know, all day on the weekends. I learned how to open bottles of wine. Mm. I learned about, you know, how to serve steaks. Three months, three months go by. I work the lunch, lunch shift, go home, come back to do the dinner shift. The manager pulls me in and says, um, we're going to let you go. Mm. And I was like, oh, what did I do? And he said, you're just not a part of this team. Mm. You come in, you do your shift, and then you you leave. Mm. And that's it. Okay. And so I said, 
you know, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's yeah. all I do. And you know what huh. I did? What? I got back in the car. I drove to Planet Exchange. I said, I just got fired from the steakhouse. And they said, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> it was so clear. I didn't belong there. But hmm. I did I did belong hmm. at the clothing shop. Hmm. Interesting. I stayed there until I graduated and moved back to Pennsylvania. Hmm. So that... that steakhouse manager who said you're just not a part of the team what was he picking up from you that that in micro ways you you were were you rejecting belonging like were you rejecting assimilating into that culture (laughs) I I no shame I I think it was probably pretty normal to stay after your shift Mm -hmm. have a beer Mm -hmm. have some food maybe go out after okay. I, I didn't do any of that I, okay. I did my shift I did my closing duties mm-hmm. I left I, I wasn't mean to anyone no, I promise. I'm sure you weren't but I didn't I didn't make any friends I, I just mm-hmm. I was especially nice to the cooks mm-hmm. but that was it I just in out yeah home interesting I was focused on school but yeah that wasn't enough to be on that on yeah. that serving staff it might be another podcast talking about belonging <laughs> and what happens when we don't belong. Yeah. But I, I think that that can be, you know, if you if you join an organization where they have a really strong culture of creativity or really strong culture of uh, assertiveness even, mm-hmm. and you aren't either of those things, it's hard to make the leap. And so you can, it's all learnable, but you have to recognize that. And then you have to decide that you want to. So, so (laughs) culture shaping is interesting, but, um, but anyhow, that might be a time where both parties recognize, uh, that it's not quite a fit and conscious uncoupling might be, a method that they would want to use to, without blame, release each other um, back into the world of uh, labor to decide, you know, what their next step is to find a better fit where they can have more joy, flourishing, achievement. Can you talk more about some of the concrete steps? What's what's the process? I don't think every organization can do it because I think it needs to happen um, when the stage has been set. And so mm-hmm. if if an organization already has a culture of compassion uh, where there's empathy and you, it, it's an easier fit okay. because there's already trust, <laughs> there's already uh, maybe a culture of non-blaming or non-judgment. I think all of that creates a fertile environment for this practice. Mm. So, um, you know, in an organization where there is not psychological safety and there's not trust and there's not compassion, if your boss comes and sits down with you and says, are you happy here? You might not tell them the truth. But if there's a relational culture where people truly care and respect um, each other and they sit down and they say, 
you don't seem happy. Hmm. Um, you might be open to telling them, okay. you know. So it needs to be the right dynamic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, you know, also if the culture has habits around collaboration, because cultures where there are, uh, there's true collaboration, they've got norms around what that means so the you know the essentials of collaboration are really um truthfulness and listening and self-awareness and curiosity all of that is baked in to a, a culture of collaboration but if it's not a culture of collaboration um you know there might be ego and rigidity and defense defensiveness those are characteristic enemies of mm. collaboration so my point being, I think this process will work pretty well in healthy cultures where there's compassion and trust and non-blaming and collaboration. I, I think about with collaboration, the definition being mutually very assertive about what you want yeah. and also very cooperative. It's true. And helping the other person get what they want. Yeah. So in order to make this work, that makes sense that yeah. you would need that. Yeah. Okay. So once the stage is set, then perhaps there's a bit of a process to move through this conscious uncoupling. Mm-hmm. I, I love appreciative inquiry. Um, you know, I, the, the body of work that came out of Case Western in the 1980s, mm. and it's such an elegant process, and I think you could use it, you can use it to frame so much but it's really a a four the four d's they call it where you the first d is to discover what is good already so Hmm. where where are we amazing where is this relationship actually serving both of us and is there something great here and what, what can how can we focus on what's great about and what's serving both of us so i think that's something to start with is the first D. Then the second could be is is dream, which is what could be. And then asking the question, having this collaborative conversation about, well, what could our relationship look like? <laughs> <laughs> what could it what could be the container mm-hmm. for this relationship yeah. that would allow you to flourish uh, and us to flourish and uh all of us to continue growing. So I think the dreaming is the really creative part. And then the third part is design, which is, well, what should be? So then you're really brass tacks getting down to, well, if you work three hours a week as a contractor from your house, you know, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. You know, then you're really getting down to design of it. And then the fourth is deploy, um, which is really how do we execute this? You know, how do we, let's agree on the timeline. When is the, when are we going to shift the relationship to this new framework, this new container for the relationship? Um, how are we going to, to get all of that out? And I think that part of the deploy is not just the timing, extremely clear, roles and responsibilities for the next chapter, but also the messaging. 
So what, yeah. what are you, what are we telling the team? What are you telling the team? What am I telling the team? Mm-hmm. What are, what are we telling the clients? What are we telling the outside world? <laughs> yeah. Um, and getting consistent, but also making sure that that messaging feels good to everyone. So I think, I think that's, I think that's a great tried and true process that works well for conscious uncoupling, yeah. appreciative inquiry, and with with the focus on you know when you get to the execution, making sure that the messaging is is clear. It sounds it sounds clear, and I wonder if what do we do about the emotional part of this? Because I think it helps to have a process. Mm-hmm. But there's still the emotional component. There's still the pain yeah. of uncoupling yeah. that is human. Human. Yeah. I, if everyone uh, is, is well steeped in the work of William Bridges and transition management, I think it will help everything go much more okay. smoothly. So again, it kind of goes back to the first part about what's normal in the culture. If it's a culture that understands transition management and that human beings, when they go through change, experience certain characteristic emotions. And so in the letting go phase, there are certain emotions. In the <laughs> neutral zone, the wilderness, you know, the, as Mike McKenna calls it, the trough of despair. <laughs> I love it. Um, not dramatic at all. And then, and then the new beginning um, phase, that there are certain emotions that you're just going to expect and they're normal. And so if both parties in the conscious uncoupling can recognize those emotions, know they're going to come when they show up, welcome in, welcome in mm-hmm. and say, all right, <laughs> sit down for tea, rage, you know, here we go. Let's have at it. Um, and then knowing, you know, how, how we keep moving. So I think that would be really healthy. I, I also think it's just really good to be realistic about relationships yeah. and, you know, just because I made a decision five years ago based on a set of criteria that were true at the time doesn't mean that that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. And things are always evolving and relationships are always changing. And, you know, even with all of the best intentions, um, workplaces are so uh, dynamic yeah. and layered and there's chemistry that just changes with every new new teammates. So, so just being realistically optimistic about relationships, but recognizing they are fluid. And, and I think it helps you be really grateful today for those (laughs) relationships that are great. And it's sort of a mindfulness practice, isn't it? To say, you know, these relationships are, are really, um, strong today. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for these. They might not be forever but today i'm grateful for them and mm-hmm. i i can't really know what the future holds yeah it's it's hard do you have any final words of wisdom for leaders out there who might be considering this well just with as with anything introducing the words and the language and 
maybe maybe laughing a little bit about you know the using Gwyneth Paltrow's language in the workplace for a little bit of levity but then take from this idea what could be valuable it won't work in every organization but there may be pieces of it that you could adopt and um and it might be healthier for everyone so i i think introducing the language would be my my bit of advice okay wonderful i'm so grateful to you for being part of this movement of helping others in the workplace enhance individual and collective team performance thank you listeners for downloading the behaviorist we hope you'll subscribe please reach out to us through our website workwisdomllc.com where you can enjoy work wisdom press and product productions ask questions and even give suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with a, um, let's see, Anthony DeMello story. Calamities can bring growth and enlightenment, said the teacher, and he explained it. Each day, a bird would shelter in the withered branches of a tree that stood in the middle of a vast, deserted plain, One day, a whirlwind uprooted the tree, forcing the poor bird to fly a hundred miles in search search of shelter, till it finally came to a forest of fruit-laden trees. And he concluded, if the withered tree had survived, nothing would have induced the bird to give up its security and fly. (laughs) 